Turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. The recognition of special secular days is not traditionally practiced in Reformed churches. However, in my lifetime, I have attended church services. For example, I remember one Sunday service was for the celebration of the 4th of July. And as everyone came in, they were handed little bitty flags, little forage flags. And during the song service, everyone had to wave the flag while they sang, God bless America. I love our nation. I consider myself a patriot, but that has no place in a worship service. Veterans Day, Memorial Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day are technically secular holidays. Mother's Day and Father's Day are very often remembered on a Sunday by federal law. And I have no objection to remembering and appreciating mothers and fathers, but when we come together on a Sunday morning, we should all be getting something out of the lesson for the day for the whole church. And maybe with special application for mothers on Mother's Day and special application for fathers on Father's Day. If we are to do anything at all, we, are certainly, we certainly should focus on the Word of God and on our own submission and obedience to its instruction and its wisdom. I have also been in church services where the preacher on a Mother's Day just got up and told they were wonderful stories. They were sweet stories about his own mother. But he never opened the Bible. He never read any text. If we are to do anything at all on these special days, we certainly should focus on the Word of God. And we, and we, are, at, we are admonished in Scripture to make special application to certain people where it is needed, special encouragement to certain people where it is appropriate. I'm all for that. But this is the Word of God. And our own submission and obedience to its instruction and wisdom is primary as Christians. We need to believe in the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. We teach as Presbyterians that the Bible is the final authority for faith and practice. Everything we do as Christians, everything we, every way we behave as believers should come from the Bible, and we should never place our feelings or our opinions or our ideas over Scripture itself. Our lesson this morning is be righteous imitators. 
Let's read Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try not to discern what is pleasing, excuse me, try to discern what is pleasing to do, pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, but not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, for the husband is the Lord, is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with blood, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, that each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband.
Let's pray. Father, we ask for your guidance and help. Help us to pick out a few important points from this deep, thorough text. Help us examine ourselves in the light of your word. Help us encourage one another as we follow you, seeking to be faithful in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. How many times have you ever watched a commercial on television or read an ad in a magazine or perhaps the paper or online, and you see the little line, accept no imitations? It seems to me like the first time I have saw that, and a lot of products, products encourage you to do that, by the original, accept no imitations. First time I saw that was on a margarine container. And we all know that margarine has been made to be a cheap imitation of the real thing, butter. It's kind of ironic. Accept no imitations placed on an imitation. We, as children of God, are to be righteous imitators of God. And we ought to understand how we might do that. How are we to imitate God? It's not presumptuous to do so if we look at Scripture and understand how that happens. There is an important ingredient necessary that might help us. Dignity. Dignity. Do we really understand what it means? We hear a lot of people hollering that they have their dignity. Whenever they're offended, I have my dignity. Don't offend my dignity. If Wikipedia can be trusted, they make two points about the definition of dignity. First, dignity is the right of a person to be valued and respected for their own sake and to be treated ethically. Dignity is the right of a person to be valued and respected for their own sake and to be treated ethically. You might think there's nothing wrong with that definition. I would agree in concept, but I disagree with the purpose. They say everyone has a right to be valued and respected. Why? According to Wikipedia, for their own sake. No, that's where I disagree. We should be valued and respected because we have all, all been created in the image of God. You're all familiar with the account of creation. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over all, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God is the source of dignity for man. It's not just because man is there or that man exists. God is the source. We have it. You 
If we are going to believe and teach the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture, there is where we understand the source of man's dignity. It comes from God, nowhere else. Second point from Wikipedia's definition of dignity, and we'll get into the word very soon. Dignity is of significance in morality, ethics, law, politics, and extension as an extension of the Enlightenment era concepts of inherited inalienable rights. According to Wikipedia, they believe that the Enlightenment, that age in history where science just seemed to bloom and people began to think that, well, we can figure this all out on our own with our own minds and understanding, we can make the world a better place without God. Again, I agree in concept. I disagree with the source. It's not the Enlightenment. It again goes back to man as being created in the image of God. Genesis 5.3, Adam lived 150, excuse me, 130 years and he begot a son, listen to the language, in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The inherent image stamped upon the first man has been passed on to each generation ever since. We have our dignity rooted in God. And that dignity does have significance in morality and ethics and law and even in politics. But it is not an extension of the Enlightenment era. Our inalienable rights do come from God. Each and every one of us kind of understands that. We know that. But when we look at the world around us and we see how some people are behaving, and it's very often the very proud people behaving may I say, misbehaving. I'm not going to go into great detail, but there are some politicians, and I don't need to name any names. If you're paying attention to the news, you know what's going on. There are some politicians who have offended their inherent dignity that they have come from God. And they, are, they have not been acting very dignified. And I will be honest with you, there have been some prophets of God that have also failed to act with any dignity. That it is an affront and offense to God. The word dignity may also be used to describe personal conduct as behaving with dignity. And kind of help us cap this part of the message off. Synonyms for dignity? Decency, decorum, grace, grandeur, honor, morality, poise, prestige, quality, respectability, self-respect, stature, stature, status, and virtue. 
All of these things are synonymous with dignity. And if we are to live with dignity, we, we almost have to qualify ourselves to do that. Almost have to earn it. To behave well is to live with dignity. To live to glorify God is to live with dignity. To sin is to fail. We know our source of dignity is from God. We should treat all others, all others, no matter what their status, no matter who they are, no matter what kind of condition, that we should treat all others with respect, understanding that all are created in God's image. And we have legal, according to Scripture, and according to man's law, we also have legal right when someone deliberately fails to live in a dignified manner. We have the right to hold them accountable. They should be disciplined. And it's not diminishing any respect for them at all as to their source of dignity. It is helping them, holding them accountable to being made in the image of God. They should live as though they were in the image of God. And that's the problem. Everyone doesn't act dignified. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we are to be righteous imitators. We are to bear, we are to wear, we are to carry, we are to represent the dignity of God as Christians, as believers. The Bible says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. It is sweet and precious and heartwarming every time we see our children imitating their parents. remember my firstborn daughter. I heard some noise in the front room, and I got up to see what she was doing. Hear this little, just, just learn to walk. She had put both her feet in my big work boots and was coming through the hall, imitating her father. Those kinds of things just melt a dad's heart. Children imitate their parents. We should imitate our Lord. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself, gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ loved us in such a way that he gave himself. He calls us to love others in such a way that we would give of ourselves. You're all very familiar with Philippians 2. If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in loneliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here is the definition of Christian love. Looking out for, watching out, not being bossy, but caring in a loving way, in a respectful way for the dignity of others. First John chapter 3, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are becoming like Christ more and more every day. So we are called to be imitators of him more and more every day. We are to walk in dignity. Look at verse 3. Let me begin at verse 1. Let me read just a bit to set the context. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice of God. The Apostle Paul is already thinking about pure behavior. So what I want to talk about just for a few moments is dignity in relationship. His next verse seems like it's out of place, but he is talking about pure behavior, so he goes to the first thing people think about when they think of impure behavior. Verse 3, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Purity in relationship. Faithfulness to the word and to one another in relationship. Dignity in relationship, dignity in language. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may, may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the, Christ, in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. The Bible says it's out of place. And there was a day in time when certain words were not acceptable in public use. But we're hearing it and seeing it all the time, and it's it's being absorbed, it's being assimilated into the Christian's vocabulary. When I was a youngster, B-U-T-T -T was a dirty word. I remember I was outside playing in the driveway with a friend and I scraped my foot and I hollered out, oh my foot. And when I got in the house, 
Mom thought she was so ashamed. She thought I said I, the other word, the B-U-T-T word. Because she was inside and didn't hear clearly. But now we hear all kinds of language and dignity in language, dignity in relationship. And it is obvious that there are some evidence from some people that they just do not belong. Dignity in integrity, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. Let no one deceive you with empty words. When he's talking about empty words, he's talking about deceptive words. Fraudulent words, words that... And it can be theology, it can be a, a, a preacher bringing the wrong message or a wrong teaching from the Word of God. It can be a business associate who is trying to defraud you of funds or money or trying to trick you. Let no one deceive you in, for, with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. If we are to be pure and dignified in all that we do, in relationship, in language, and in integrity, then you can be assured that those who fail to do so do not belong in the kingdom. Or they are not yet in the kingdom, and they need the gospel. Matthew 5, 34, the Lord himself. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, nor by... For it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. We are not to let someone deceive us, and we are not to deceive others. We are not to say something we do not mean. We are not to teach something that is not true. We are to have integrity in our speaking and in our lives and in our behavior. Proverbs 27 says, The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Your life, Christian, has consequences, not just on your personal self, but also on all those small eyes that watch you. You have an influence doesn't matter if you're a mother or a father. You don't even have to say a word to them. They are reading you and watching you and learning more from you by what you do and how you do it than anything you say. Dignity in relationship, dignity in language, dignity in integrity. And the Bible says to walk in God's light. Verse 8. Listen carefully to the language. At one time you were darkness. 
darkness. Let's say you were in darkness. At one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It's summertime. We probably have more than one or two gardeners in the congregation. The temperature's warm, the sun is out. It's the right time to grow stuff. Light produces good fruit. It just doesn't come up from the soil. Light has a very good part making your plants grow. It doesn't matter if it's tomatoes or sweet potatoes. Light has a lot to do with it. Light also exposes the motives of people. Light produces good fruit. Spiritual light is what I'm talking about, really. Spiritual light in your life produces spiritual fruit. Walk in God's light. Paul said you were once in darkness. Walk as children of the light. Light exposes, motive, mo light exposes motives. Light exposes evil. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Verse 11. But instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, sleeper. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The Apostle Paul is saying, don't stay in the darkness. Don't remain in spiritual darkness. Awake. See the light that you have been given. Look carefully, verse 18, or excuse me, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best of use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is something that the whole church needs to see and the whole church needs to practice. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That kind of sets a little bit of context or adjusts the message for the next few verses I'm about to read. Because a lot of people... The next verses are kind of uncomfortable. And they're not supposed to be. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. His body and is himself the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. A lot of feminists in the world 
and even some feminists that had kind of infiltrated the church read this and are really bothered by it. I have to submit? I don't know what, they're so, I don't know what offends them more. Submitting to their husbands? If we back up and read the verse before it, giving thanks, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he talks about this thing that God himself invented called marriage. God himself designed marriage and is for a purpose. Not just bringing children into the world. Jesus thought, thought so highly of marriage that when he wanted to illustrate a relationship between Christ and the church, he pointed to marriage. And then he asks wives to submit to their husbands. Because in doing so, you are showing the world the relationship that the church is supposed to have to God the Father. If any of you have ever attended one of my weddings, I usually make it clear. Do you know why the Father traditionally gives away the bride? It goes all the way back to Genesis. God the Father gave away the first bride to Adam. Do you know why the bride usually comes down the aisle to the altar? It's taken from Revelation 21. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The whole idea and concept around the Christian marriage is supposed to be a picture of the consummation of Christ and his church. Because the whole lesson the church has built up around the Christian wedding service is a time of worship where we see that. Marriage is a picture of Christ, the bride of Christ, and Christ the groom. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. Wives and mothers are to submit to their husbands, not because they are any less in importance or worth, but because the family is a sermon in shoes for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how important it is. When we accept any earthly definition of marriage, when we accept any earthly definition of marriage, and there is a prevalent, popular, earthly definition of marriage being accepted today, and it is wrong, we are actually saying that Scripture is not sufficient, it is no longer relevant, and we've just perverted the gospel. That's how important this lesson is. 
We must understand and believe in the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. And when we place our feelings or our ideas or our passions above Scripture itself, we've just subverted or perverted the gospel. When we redefine the role of husband and wife, we are messing with the gospel because the gospel is intended to be a living, breathing portrait. Excuse me, because marriage is intended to be a living, breathing portrait of the gospel. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it's not just all important that the women submit. Husbands are to love their wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing water of the word, so that he might present the church. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We need to believe and understand that this doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture is important. God is our source of dignity. We are called to be imitators of God. God himself said, you shall be holy for I am holy. We are to walk in the dignity of purity. We are to walk in the dignity of language. We are to walk in the dignity of integrity. We are to walk in the light of God. And in all of that, allow me to ask just a few questions as kind of application for fathers. Fathers, do you pray for your child's future? I know you worry about your child's, but do you pray for your child's future? Not that they'd be successful necessarily, and I know that's an important part, but do you pray for their faith, their faithfulness to the Lord, that they would always be devoted to him? Do you spend time with your children? Have your children heard you read the Bible? It's kind of surprising how many families where this doesn't happen, at least from the father's voice. 
Have your children ever heard you pray for them by name? Do your children know that you love their mother? The family is meant to be a place that demonstrates the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of the family, the love of the mother, devoted to the leadership of the father as he faithfully loves them, provides for them, protects for them. All of that is supposed to be a picture of Christ and his church. We need to see that. We need to view it as important and vital to our walk of faith in Christ. Shall we pray? Father, again, we are thankful for your word and its truth, and we pray that as we speak to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, and as we admonish one another in love and in Christ, may Jesus be seen in all of us. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to imitate. the dignity that has been given to us through God our Father. It is in the name of the Son and for his glory we pray. Amen. As we worship this morning,